It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, March 14th. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. Cake is now experiencing one of its biggest outbreaks of COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic, with 32 active cases reported as of Friday. The outbreak comes after multiple Cake high school basketball teams, as well as family and fans, traveled to compete in the 1A regional tournament at the beginning of this month. The Cake Thunderbirds traveled to Juneau for the small school's regional basketball tournament March 2 through 5 at Thunder Mountain High School. That's where community members are suspected of catching the virus. Thunder Mountain's activities director, Luke Adams, told KCAW that masks were mandatory for spectators and non-playing team members, but optional for players on the court. In a call with KCAW, CAKE Superintendent Rich Cadahay says the teams, as well as accompanying fans and family members, followed masking protocol and were diligent about testing before and after the tournament. Cadahay says the city made sure to report the positive cases to the Alaska School Activities Association. The city is offering antigen tests to those who believe they've been exposed or are experiencing symptoms, as well as preventative measures for the elderly and immunocompromised. The next booster and children's vaccine clinic will take place April 1st. All Cake City schools are currently implementing remote learning and will continue to do so through next week. The Alaska Board of Fisheries on Saturday did not vote on three proposals from the Sitka Tribe of Alaska that could have curtailed the commercial herring harvest in Sitka, but neither did the board vote on three issues backed by the commercial fishing industry that would have limited the subsistence harvest of herring eggs. The six proposals were withdrawn in a handwritten letter to the Board of Fish signed by representatives of the Sitka Tribe of Alaska and by the industry group, the Southeast Herring Conservation Alliance. Afterward, tribal subsistence advocate Louise Brady met with media to share her frustration with the Board of Fish process. I don't think that the board is an effective forum because we are not a user group. This has nothing to do with economics. It has to do with human rights. Right now, we don't have access to a more appropriate venue, but we will. We will someday. And we'll take everybody's testimony out and everybody's work, and it will matter to someone. It matters to us. It matters to the herring, most importantly. The tribe has had some success litigating the issue in Superior Court. Brady and other subsistence advocates who testified before the board suggested that it was covered under the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. KCW will have a more detailed story on the withdrawal of the six herring proposals during local news tonight at 5.18 p.m. Public testimony last Friday at the Alaska Board of Fisheries meeting drew attention to the fundamental problem with herring management in Sitka. How do you reconcile a science-based approach toward commercial fishing with an unscientific, yet very well understood, and very old, subsistence tradition? KCW's Robert Woolsey reports. Sitka Sound is home to the largest herring biomass remaining in southeast Alaska, And recently, the state has calculated that biomass this spring to be the largest on record. Those records really don't go back very far, however, only to the 1970s. And subsistence harvesters, who lay hemlock branches in shallow waters near Sitka each spring in the hope that they'll be coated with a thick layer of eggs, say this large biomass of herring has been forced into less accessible areas under pressure from the commercial seine fleet. 
Biologist Kyle Rosendale works for the Sitka Tribe of Alaska. He explained to the board how you can have a high abundance of herring, but a poor subsistence harvest in Sitka Sound. We are talking a lot about biomass because that's sort of our only actionable metric uh, at this time in this fishery. But I think there's a lot more nuance with some of the spatial data that, that ADF&G has, has been collecting over time that show, you know, as we've sort of had this, this contraction in the duration of spawn and sort of this westward migration in the spawn, it's really hard for folks to make sure they have places where there are three consecutive days of spawn to harvest the good quality and quantity of eggs. A number of Sitka's tribal citizens traveled to the Anchorage meeting to press the point that despite the high abundance of herring, the subsistence fishery was failing. Pete Karras, Jr. drew an analogy for the board. It is our, our right, it is our um, way of life, and I think if uh, the tables were turned and you um, had uh, your refrigerators, your freezers, your food uh, cabinets locked and you could not get into them unless I said that you could, that is what you were doing. Karras also thought that state management was pushing herring stocks dangerously close to collapse. The reason Sitka herring are so prized is because stocks elsewhere in the region have been depleted, some while being managed by the state. If your eyes are closed, open them because it doesn't take rocket science to figure this out. If you put this problem between nine and 10 year old children and you ask them the same questions that we're asking each other today, they would say, stop fishing. Imposing a moratorium on the commercial herring fishery is not a radical idea. The Alaska Native Sisterhood, in fact, passed a resolution urging the state to do exactly that. Daphne Albi, ANS Grand President, reminded the board of her organization's position. The Sitka Sound herring stock, one of the last within the state of Alaska, provides a viable cultural food harvest of herring eggs for indigenous people that is shared throughout the same Alaska and lower 48 communities that we represent. According to ADFNG, the amount of necessary egg harvest for the indigenous peoples have not been met for nine out of the last 10 years. But a moratorium on commercial fishing would shut down a multi-million dollar harvest and create an economic ripple effect beginning with the 47 active permit holders in the fishery to the tenders, processors, and communities which support them. Julianne Curry is a second-generation herring saner from Petersburg who's been active in commercial fishing advocacy her entire life. She cautioned the board against rash decisions. In that time, and as my time as a harvester, I've learned that one thing is true. Biomass always fluctuates. Ups and downs don't signify a stock collapse or uh, a collapse of the resource, and we can't manage fisheries based on a strictly on a what-if scenario. The board may have found valuable insight from some of Sitka's tribal elders who carry a memory of herring far beyond the beginning of state management and even beyond statehood. In territorial days, herring reduction plants were common throughout southeast Alaska. Consequently, the state government inherited a herring population that had been driven into serious decline. Harvey Kitka told the board that basing today's high abundance on a baseline set in the 1970s created a false impression that Sitka herring were thriving. When they took the baseline figure in the 70s, that was a far cry from what it was back when we first became a state. When we first became a state, we were still able to harvest eggs almost anywhere in Sitka Sound because the whole sound would turn white. 
Kitka's testimony resonated with at least one Board of Fish member, John Wood of Willow. When I came on the board, uh, I was under the impression that part of our responsibility was to restore stocks to their historical levels. And you hit on that today. You, sir, are a treasure in that you go back to actual active harvesting before statehood. Kitka stayed at the testimony table for 15 minutes, answering board members' detailed questions about subsistence practices in Sitka, how many days branches are left in the water, how thick a coating of eggs was desirable. When asked what he would recommend to solve the problem in Sitka, Kitka replied, fish conservatively. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. A wholesale power provider in southern Southeast has upgraded its website with information about the flow of electricity over the regional electrical grid. The Southeast Alaska Power Agency, or SEPA, is the wholesale provider of hydroelectricity for Ketchikan, Wrangell, and Petersburg. It's based in Ketchikan and owns hydro plants near Ketchikan and Wrangell, along with power lines connecting the three communities. Part of the new website shows power production and flow over the system. Bob Lynn is a member of the Petersburg Borough Assembly and SEPA board, and he described it during an update to the Petersburg Assembly on Monday, March 7th. How much water is in the reservoirs, where power is flowing, whether it's flowing north, north, south, what happened, it's real time. It's kind of interesting layout if you want to go take a look at it. Lynn also told the Assembly that the three communities neared the limits of SEPA's hydropower generation during an extended cold period in January. That highlights the need for standby diesel generators in the three communities as backup if the agency's power lines are damaged or hydro plants are offline. Carl Hagerman is Petersburg's utility director and alternate on the SEPA board. He told the Assembly about the future need for another source of power. The, the SEPA uh, administration, uh, they did notice that uh, during that cold spell that the, the system is uh, pretty well taxed. Uh, but in order to bring on that next increment of power, the next SEPA project, um, that kind of has to happen. Um, so it, it makes it very important for the member um, communities to have adequate standby power at, in this intermediate time of... Um, not quite ready for the next increment of power, but, you know, we're getting close. The regional power provider has looked at additional hydro generation, along with other potential sources of electricity, but it's also faced with the high costs of replacing parts of the electrical grid that have failed, like the submarine cable that was replaced between Petersburg and Wrangell last year. It passed the first wholesale power rate increases in over two decades in December and expects another increase. Petersburg is adding to its standby diesels and overhauling its local hydro plant. The borough assembly this week gave final approval to issuing $7.8 million in bonds to help pay for that work. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.